some of you may know me, some of you may not. My Carl Hargrove, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church, one of the elders, and I am the pastor director of what's called Grace Advance. It is our ministry where we help revitalize and plant churches around North America. And actually, starting really this year, um, there will be Grace Advance Africa. So. I took a trip to Africa, and I've been there many years, in 2019, went to six countries and really saw a need there, and the Lord has blessed us where we're going to start to cooperate with churches and other ministries there to help in Africa, mainly South Africa, um, Ethiopia. Well, in that trip, I went to, uh, if we kind of go through it, I first went to um, Madagascar, then I was South Africa, and then I went Zambia, Malawi, Kenya, and then Ethiopia. Um, and so that's a part of my ministry. And also I teach at the Master's Seminary um, as well. So uh, Mary, Joanna, my wife is here. We have five, um, you know, well, four, at three adults. Um, technically four adults because of age. Um, and one that'll tell you she's 17, but in a couple of weeks, she's for sure 18. Um, So the Lord is is gracious in that sense. Uh, My background is, before actually returning to Grace Church, I've been back seven years now. I was ordained here in Grace Church, sent out, and I pastored, actually senior pastor for 21 years in near LAX area. It would be the best kind of marker for you. Then got a call about seven years ago and asked to come back and here and work at the seminary. So I've done that, and it's been a joy. Um, gotten to know people and people in my fellowship group, so I co-pastor that with Bill Shannon. I love them and love everyone at Grace Church. It's just a joy to get to know people, uh, spend time with them, pastor them, teach them. And it's a joy for me to teach um, I was in a conversation with a couple of elders, actually it was Han Cho and Phil Johnson yesterday, about a lot of controversy in the Southern Baptist Convention having to do with pastors and even the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention being a plagiarizer of sermons. And and so wretchedly so that he, in one sermon that he plagiarized, the person who originally preached it had an incorrect Bible reference. And guess what he did? He said the same thing. So he's not even checking the Bible references. And so we were in a conversation about what you do also when you don't study yourself, you forfeit sanctification. And we were referencing about, um, you know, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. I mean, I spent a lot of time in that passage. And one reason I spent some time in the passage, I was considering... Uh, really some alternative interpretations of the wording when it says um, the pure milk of the word. And there's another way to really understand that. And I briefly referenced it uh, when I preached it, but I spent hours looking at those alternatives and what God is saying and what he's not saying. And that was sanctifying for me to think that through. When I think through illustrations, uh, it's sanctifying because as I thought about suffering, what if people suffered over time, that's sanctifying. Um, I remember one of my illustrations was persecution taking place in North Korea. And um, boy, even me starting to think about it now troubles me. Um, 
and literally someone being crushed to death by machinery that's used to flatten out roads. Um, that's sanctifying. Because then you say to yourself, life, difficulty, maybe not as much as we think. And one way that um, we are sanctified is also through prayer, praying through the message. Lord, help me understand it. Help me to deliver it. Help those that will hear it uh, be sanctified themselves. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is this when it comes to prayer, because I also teach a course at the seminary on prayer. Uh, I did a, a survey. I have a, my students have to do a major project at the end of the semester. And one student asked me, he said, you've been mentioning any number of times about statistics and why we don't pray. And he said, well, I told him in one, I really I said it to the entire class. I would love to do a survey at the shepherds conference and see how we pray. And he said, I'd be willing to do it. And this would be the way in which I'd go about it. I said, great, I'll, uh, that's acceptable. And, and the numbers came back as to what I thought. Um, even at the Shepherds Conference, men that hold to uh, many of the doctrines, if not all of the doctrines that we do, who have a seriousness about ministry, who believe, at least they most definitely should, have a higher view of God, don't pray the way that you think. Uh, because I've also seen it in my classes. Uh, here are men coming to the master's seminary, uh, having these convictions. I want to identify with this. And the men come struggling in their prayer life. Some not really having much of a prayer life. And so we ask ourselves a question, which I had to ask, if our seminarians here at the master's seminary are struggling, if these pastors from around the world, to a certain degree, are struggling what is happening in the pews? And so I've always told people, because sometimes people can become discouraged, and we can read great examples of men and women of great prayer, and they want to be like a Martin Luther, uh, as he would, we'll see later on a bit about him, and his commitment to prayer, even in the most busiest of his times, and they want to be like a Martin Luther. I'm going to be like a Martin Luther and pray two hours a day. Um, and they hear a sermon, they get charged up in that moment, or maybe they go um, to a seminar or workshop or something like this, and they say, I'm going to radically change my prayer life. And that's a good thing to choose. Uh, obviously, we wouldn't be teaching it. I wouldn't teach that if that were not the case. But I've always told people, uh, friends, and I'll ask them, well, how much do you pray now? And they may give me a, a number. Um, I said, don't do it. Don't do it. What do you mean, don't pray for two hours a day? I says, no, don't attempt to do it now when you have been terribly inconsistent in your life because trust me, what's going to happen three weeks into it, you're going to be even more discouraged because you're going to fall off, most likely. So seven minutes a day. So what? That doesn't sound like much of a challenge. Uh, the last time I've looked at mathematics, Seven is better than zero. Is that still the case? Yeah, that's still the case. Seven is better than zero. Uh, and three days or three times a week is better than once or 0.5. It really is. Start there and then your appetite will grow. Now, when it comes to this class, 
um, when we decided to do Sundays in July again, they asked, well, do something that you've done before that was fairly popular, uh, and as well, because we have so many new people, maybe they can hear it. And I did um, a workshop in 2019 on prayer, and it was entitled then, A Battle Worth Winning. A Battle Worth Winning. Um, I'm doing it again, but very differently, not very differently. Uh, we focus a lot two years ago in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to focus a lot on Ephesians chapter 6 because then I couldn't do both. So in one sense, this is part two, um, two years later. But you can, if you'd like, even listen to, you can find Sundays in July, um, July 2019 and hear the other part from a different perspective and a focus on a different passage. Um, we all agree that prayer is important, do we not? You would not disagree with that. Uh, that you want to spend time with your Heavenly Father. Uh, just a word for some of you. Raise your hands again if there's a seat next to you. I know there's three right here, actually potentially four, um, where you can sit up front if you want to do that. Prayer is absolutely important to the Christian life. And um, generally what I do in the mornings, um, get up early and I go for a run, walk, and I go Facebook Live. It's, that's sort of my tradition. I'll say I'm off for my preaching run, I walk, and I'm in the hills running and walking, and it will be sort of a, a precursor to my lesson, and I'll ask people to pray for me. And I did it this morning early, and, and I said, pray for me as I will be talking about prayer. And it was J.C. Ryle that said that one cannot even be saved without prayer. Think about that, because um, everyone started with a prayer, did they not? It may not quite have been the sinner's prayer, but everyone said something like this, Lord, do what? Fill, it, fill in the blank. Save me. Lord, save me. That is a what? A prayer. And when I did this two weeks, uh, two years ago, I, was, I also did a survey for everyone because I was in the process of writing a book on prayer. Um, and I'm still in that process. And it got sidelined a little bit because pray for me is another prayer request. Um, last year, I started to write out these little devotions on the Psalms, and a number of people said, you should publish that. So I've, I've been editing them, because they started off as just little tweets, and then they began, to, they got a little bit larger. So I, ha- I went through all the Psalms, and it was just my morning thoughts. Um, and I would wake up in the morning, I'd read the Psalm, I, I'd kind of distill it down to a tweet. And it was generally based on one verse at the most two verses. So I've been working on that, and my goal is to finish, finish that, go through, edit it, then turn it over to someone else, and hopefully get it published um, in about two weeks. So pray for me in that way. I really need to buckle down a little bit and get that done. Um, because I want to encourage all of you to be people of prayer. It only makes sense that you would want to talk to your Heavenly Father It only makes sense in the middle of spiritual warfare that you would want to make sure that you have clear direction. It only makes sense that you would want to have communion with the God who has given his life for you that you might be able to have communion with him. So consider a challenge. 1 Samuel 12, 23, Samuel's promise, and what does he say? Moreover, as for me, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Think about that. Notice what Samuel says. 
If he neglects to pray for the people, then it is a what? It is a sin. Because Samuel is communicating, I'm neglecting my spiritual duty. Now, one may say, well, of course, look at the role of Samuel. I'm not a priest. I'm not a prophet. Well, but remember what the scripture tells us. We are all a part of a royal what? Priesthood, a holy nation. God has called each of you to take on that sense of spiritual leadership because whether you recognize it or not, you are leading someone, are you not? And you may be leading someone and you're really unaware because they're looking to your example. So all of us are called to be people of prayer and not be like a spiritual leader who would neglect praying for others because when we do pray for someone, we are doing what? We are asking for grace in their life. So obviously, if we don't pray for them, we are doing what? Putting them at a deficit, if you will. Consider this. Um, Jonathan Edwards. We're going to just look at some voices from the past. Uh, This is a tremendous statement. There is no way that Christians in a private capacity can do so much to promote the work of God and advance the kingdom of Christ as by prayer. Uh, Edwards, wonderful theologian, expositor of the word of God, but he said, if we really want to have some effect on the kingdom of God, make sure that you are praying people because in our prayers that we are moving the sovereign hand of God. Now, someone may say in my mind that just con- it, that was a contradiction. If God's hand is sovereign, how can prayer, quote, move it? And this is a part of the mystery that we find in the Christian life that God has then ordained means. We have to keep that in front of us all the time. God has ordained means. And a part of the means for God's kingdom to unfold is the prayers of his people. Because the question would be, if that were not the case, why are then we even commanded to pray? Why are we encouraged to pray? Why are we exhorted to pray? Unless it's a responsibility God expects of us. Um, let me read this, a longer quote. Um, Leonard Ravenhill says this, For this sin-hungry age, we need a prayer-hungry church. We need to explore again the exceeding great and precious promises of God. In that great day, the fire of judgment is going to test the sort, not the size of the work we have done. That which is born in prayer will survive the test. Prayer does business with God. Prayer creates hunger for souls. Hunger for souls creates prayer. The understanding soul prays, the praying soul gets understanding. To the soul who prays in self-own weakness, the Lord gives his strength. And that is a part of prayer. Prayer is a recognition of weakness. It is saying, God, I don't have the solutions. I don't have the wisdom. I cannot intervene on their behalf. And I surely cannot save that person, but I know that you can. And God, for my own sanctification, I am in need of help. Help me in my thoughts. Help me in my patience. Help me in my pride. Help me to get rid of it. And so we need to come before the Lord in prayer. Consider the words of Bunyan. In several accounts, he says, Pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. Indeed, it is a protection. 
it's an offering to the Lord and a scourge to Satan, then when we pray, in one sense, we're fighting against his powers. And Bunyan also said, this prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will do what? Entice a man to cease from prayer. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. And what does it say? Pray from the heart. And that's why Jesus Christ indicted the religious leaders because it says they wanted to be heard with their many words. But it's not the words, it's the heart. And as Bunyan says, um, if we are people of prayer, that will help us combat sin. But we also know as well, sin will do what? prevent us from praying as we should. One of my favorite quotes about prayer, and just one of my favorite quotes, period. Um, I love John Calvin, and let me introduce something about Calvin. Um, I'll pause for a moment, because I want us to remember, um, if you have a question, raise your hand. I'd love to interact with you, even as we go along. Um, I'll pause for a moment. John Calvin. When you think John Calvin, what comes to mind? Someone tell us. Tulip. The tulip comes to mind, right? And um, who, is, who has heard of the tulip? Okay, some, maybe not. So who said tulip? Okay, now it's your responsibility to tell us the acronym. <laughs> stand up, stand up in a preaching voice, in a preaching voice, turn that direction, give it to us. Well, unconditional election. Then limited atonement, uh, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Amen. That's the tulip. Known for it. What else is Calvin known for? When you think about Calvin, what else? I'm not. It's not a particular answer I'm looking for. Just give me some th- thoughts about Calvin. The institutes itself. Amazing what we learn about God and about church life. And I'm glad you mentioned that because if you look in the Institutes themselves, the longest chapter, chapter uh, the Institutes, when we think about foreknowledge, great, predestination, great, sovereignty, great. But the longest chapter in the Institutes is on, fill in the blank, prayer. Calvin was a man of prayer. Because we first think, and you're right, we think Calvin, oh, predestination. And those that don't like reform doctrine, oh, that Calvinism that sense in which we've been elected before the foundation of the world and our salvation has nothing to do with us because we're dead in sin, but it only has to do with uh, a God who is omnipotent and merciful and gracious who's chosen us before the foundation of the world. I don't like that. (laughs) But we should glory in it, amen? But Calvin was a man of prayer. If you look to the Institutes, prayer. Listen to this. Our prayer must not be self-centered. It must arise not only because we feel our own need as a burden we must lay upon God, but also because we are so bound up in love for our fellow men that we feel their need as acutely as our own. To make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. And I love how he says it. We feel their need as acutely as our own. And we think about acutely, precise, um, detailed. Uh, they have, we might say, well, that, they have a really a, an acute sense of smell. They have an acute um, ability for something. And this is what he's communicating here. 
We feel it in a way that is special, that's particular, it's personal, it's engaging. And so in prayer, Calvin's conclusion, which we must agree with, a powerful way that you want to say that you love someone, pray for them. A practical way to express love is to pray for them. Because there are limitations that we have. And when we pray for someone, essentially what we're doing is that we're taking them to the throne of grace. And at times, we take them to the throne of grace, and what we're doing is leaving them there. Is there, any other better, is there a better place to be left than the throne of grace? I mean, essentially, uh, just use the name John. Lord, I pray for John that you would intervene in his life in this way. He is going through difficulties, which I have no power to change. But you can. You are the God of all comfort. And you take him to the throne of grace. And in one sense, you've done it and you leave. This is prayer. And consider, I'll go on here. Um, Veith Dietrich on Martin Luther, a man of prayer as well. Listen to this. There's not a day which he does not devote at least three hours, the very ones most suitable for studying to prayer. Once I was fortunate to overhear his prayer, my, what faith in his words. He speaks with the great reverence of one who speaks to his God and with the trust and hope of one who speaks with his father and friend. And so we ask ourselves a question of a Martin Luther, again, known for clear thinking, known for absolutely being bold, but yet a man of prayer. I have in my research, because it's often been said that Luther made the statement um, as he looked at his schedule, he says, um, there is so much that I must do. I must spend the first two hours in prayer. And I look for it and look for it. Where did he say that? Where did he say it? And I've seen it all over the internet. And it was four hours, and it was one hour, then it was two hours. So then you know there's some scholastic elasticity happening here that we need to take a look at. Um, and so I looked into it, and the closest that I've come to it, surely there were times when Luther made the statement about the business of his day and he must pray, but as one of his, um, those that he is mentoring, if you will, would overhear him prayer and, and observe his life as the closest we come to it. Because the tendency, let's pause for a moment, the tendency, I have so much to do, therefore what do we do? Let me get started. I have so much to do, oh my, I'm behind. And we get started on it. As opposed to I have so much to do, I need the Lord's help. He has to intervene. He has to give me wisdom. He has to make my time more productive. And I try as much as I can to have that habit because there are times when I look at my schedule and I see it, I ask myself, how am I going to get this done? I look at my phone, and if I were to show it to you now, I have a system that's color-coded and it's blocked in. And if you look at it, it's, uh, it's more than a rainbow. It's covered all up. And at times I'm talking to people, when can you meet with us? Or when can you come and speak? And I'm thinking, okay, how about 20-something? then I can come. And often I will look at it. I was literally, this morning, I drove in by myself and thinking, Lord, we have the Grace of Ants Academy. I have to meet these people this week. This is going on. I really need to pick up on my editing. And I thought, I need to spend more time in prayer. 
As a matter of fact, I talked about maybe I need to fast and pray for several days to get this done, to help me focus. Because some may say, well, wait a minute, if you put in the more time, you would get it done. But I've learned through my experience when I have sought the Lord that he multiplies my efforts. He gives me clearer thoughts. So we should be people of prayer. Now, we can look at some of these heroes of the faith and the many others, and to a certain degree, sometimes people may become discouraged because they see that they're not praying the way that they should. Uh, but don't be discouraged. Prayer is hard work. And it was also Martin Luther that said that as well. He said, actually, prayer is the hardest of work. And he said, in part, because first you have the murmurings within and you have the attacks of the enemy upon you. And when he talked about the murmurings within, he's, he's saying that you have these distractions. So quick survey, has anyone ever been distracted when they started to pray? The raising of hands. All of you get a book, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You have the greatest intentions to pray. Lord, here it is. Everything's quiet. I'm here. I have this moment. And you start to pray and thoughts come to mind. Distractions come to mind. But we have to fight through those distractions is what we have to do. Some of it's simply the, the, the flesh, what Luther would say, the murmurings of the flesh. Some of it, I believe, is in fact just spiritual warfare itself, the enemy itself wanting to distract us in whatever way that happens in particular. I don't know that we fully understand that. But we have to fight through it. Some of my background is in athletics, and I remember um, playing football, and we had a phrase that would say, boy, you're he was in the zone. In a couple games that I played, Hargrove, you were in the zone. And I could, although it's many moons ago, I could recall those games and think, I sort of was. I just, things happened to me so naturally. I didn't think about them. I didn't think about the movements. Um, all the years of training, it just seemed to kind of flow for me. And being in the zone, you see an athlete and you say, wow, they're really in the zone. How did that happen? But you have to fight through that. And I, and I don't want to be trite with anything, but if you will, sort of a prayer zone where you can fight through the distractions, you can keep your head down, you can keep praying to the Lord when freedom of thought takes place and people come to mind and situations come to mind and you can be undistracted. Because you can surely believe when you're distracted, it is something to discourage you from prayer. And I would, if I were to take a survey, we won't raise hands on this one, that I'm going to believe that there have been times when you had good intentions to pray, and you began praying, and you became distracted, and you stopped. And here's another thing that happens in prayer. I know it is a reality. You have great intentions to pray, and sinful thoughts come to mind. Say, wait a minute, how could it be possible that here I am talking to the living God and I'm thinking about something like that? All the more reason to pray. And that's absolutely spiritual warfare. And you can rest assured when you pray, there will be times when the enemy, because what he wants to do with us is discourage us in our sanctification, bring up sin of the past. That's right, I did that. How can I pray to God now? But that's the beauty of salvation, isn't it? What was your, what's your name? 
Ray? Ryan. So first thing he said, um, Tulip, think about it. So total depravity, our total inability. Uh, man's inability to come to faith on his own. Absolutely, Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3, right? Unconditional um, election. Think about that for a moment. God has set his affection on us based on nothing in ourselves, only because he decided that he would want to show us mercy. Show us mercy. Now, once God has decided to show us mercy, nothing can change that. Nothing can improve upon that mercy. Nothing can improve upon that love. And so when we're praying and thoughts come to mind from the past, in one sense, this is a proper way in which we can claim the promises of God. No, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Um, some of you may have seen John Piper's book, Providence, 700 pages. And um, I decided that I was going to read through it. So I started a group actually on Facebook, and I called it 35 Days of Providence. And I said, and I, I outlined it, how many pages you can read it a day. It's really not that many, about 20 pages a day. Well, it is 20 a day for the 35 days you, that you can read. And the way it's formatted, you may look at it and you see 700 pages. He quotes a lot of scripture and he keeps it in the format that you might see in your Bible. I think it reads at about 525. You can say, well, still, that's 525. But we're almost done. We have about five more days to go, I think, in it um, to finish the book. One thing that he said recently was he talked about sanctification in the book, and I thought it interesting, and I highlighted it. He said that uh, what we have to do is to continue to fight against sin. But he made this statement. He says, every sin that we fight against is sin that it is forgiven. And I thought, that's an interesting way to put it. But it is true. Because the question one might say, well, if I'm fighting against sin, does it mean that I'm fighting against sin in order to gain some favor with God? No, it doesn't, because you already have favor with God, because you're what? Forgiven. You've been unconditionally elected and now saved. But nonetheless, in time, Although my sin is forgiven, I must still fight against it. The flesh is still alive, is it not? And so how do we do it? Prayer helps us. Here's some guiding words. I'm going to give you four guiding words. Number one is conscience. And this is a response to the prompting of the spirit and truth. That is, uh, the spirit of God places something in your heart as to you and your prayer life and what it should be. You hear truth that comes from God's word. Then you must decide on that basis and never let misguided guilt pressure you. Because that can happen sometimes. We read some Puritan or we read some reformer or someone else that we know, even in contemporary society. And we say, I must pray as they pray. Perhaps. Or I don't pray as much as they do. No, don't let your conscience be guided by that. They may be an example for you that perhaps could be inspiring, but it has to be a response to the Spirit of God and to the truth of God. So your conscience must guide you. Now, of course, the conscience must be informed. Let's pause for a moment. What do you think I mean by the conscience must be informed? What do you think I mean by that? Conscience must be informed. Hmm. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, it has to be informed by the word of God because um, someone may say, 
because we can say, well, let your conscience lead you. However, if I have an immature conscience, where is that going to lead me? Exactly. If I have an uninformed conscience, where is it going to lead me? In a direction that's not correct. But if my conscience has been informed by clearly interpreted biblical truth, then I will make what? Clear decisions, wise decisions. Because someone can say, well, I don't feel led. Well, what do you mean you don't feel led? Led by what? What's informing you? Because obviously, as you grow in the faith, our consciences should develop more and more. Now, there may be things that you have to discard. If someone comes from a legalistic church, their conscience is informed by what? Someone say it. By legalistic what? Doctrines. So they might say, I can't. They have a list of what? What are some of the can'ts of a person that comes from a legalistic background? What are the can'ts? What's that? Well, yeah, it's informed by law, but what are some of the practical things they may say their conscience doesn't let them do? What's that? They can't eat meat on Friday for some reason. Wow, where does that come from? Not in the Bible. What else can't they do? Women can't wear... That's right. Even to some extremes, they literally go to a summer camp and they have a separate time for swimming between the girls and the boys because you can't be in the pool at the same time. Well, some may say, my conscience says, you cannot watch television. It's the eye of the devil. Now, there's some truth to that, so let's hold on. <laughs> let's, let's not be too quick on that because there's nothing but madness on it now. Uh, it really is. I don't understand wh- why people have 700 channels uh, because there's maybe two that you can really watch. And even those, you have to monitor those. Uh, people, well, do you have, do you have HBO? Why would I want HBO? I mean, really? HBO? Really, people? What really, what, what am I going to help me? What's the draw here? I'm not understanding this. And then you're wondering why you have these thoughts in your mind. You wonder why you're struggling with this because you're sitting in front of this madness all the time. And had you invested maybe some of that time watching that in prayer and study and reflection and meditation, your spiritual life might be propelled. Is this not true? Well, you can say amen. It's okay. I know most of you are former Baptists anyway, so. Um, I've got to do, something popped up on my screen. You don't see it, but I've got to take care of it. Um, that's weird. Okay, I'll, I'll do it this way. Communion. The desire of the genuine believer is to spend time with the creator. And this must be viewed as a privilege, joy, and obligation. Notice those two can work, to, those three can work together. <clears throat> it's a privilege. Amazing that I can talk to the God of the universe. What a joy that I can commune with him. But also an obligation. I am commanded to pray. And those don't contradict one another. You think about a privilege. Um, there are people that you would love to speak to, and, it, and everyone would love to, if you could, um, give John MacArthur a call on a weekly basis and spend 30 minutes with him on the phone. If he said, you know, I'd like to spend 30 minutes with each of you on the phone this week, how many of you would say, oh, too busy? Highly unlikely. And there's one far superior to him. And he would say it as well. That he's saying, 
I'm busy anytime. I'm sorry, I'm open anytime. Come spend time with me. Then consistent is, a, is another word that's important. Consistent. Um, and this is the pattern that we all want to achieve, even in our Christian life, isn't it? Now, of course, consistency doesn't mean that there is perfection. We will have moments of highs and lows. We will fail. That's why we go through progressive sanctification. But I would say this consistency is always better than initial excitement that dissipates. Because sometimes we can hear truth, and I think we've all been there. We can hear truth and say, boy, I'm going to do this now. And then a week later, it's not quite the same. Be consistent is what we need to do. Then the next word is consecrated. Is consecrated. Be committed to the decision. And if we're committed to that decision, and we have to find a place of consecration. What are four words? Conscience, right? Communion, consistency, consecrated. Um, That can guide us. Think about those words and what they mean for you. Something practical, resources to help make you more effective. Um, Praying the Bible. Um, Donald Whitney. And um, just the idea of how we can just use the Psalms as a way to pray um, and develop prayer. I would also, it just came out by um, Cress and Barrick, uh, a primer for praying the Psalms. As a matter of fact, I'm going to use that next semester for my class. just came out. I think it's excellent. Um, taking hold of God, kind of looks through um, mainly the Puritans and Reformers in their prayer life, transforming prayer, Daniel Henderson, and the Echo app, and also OneNote. Who uses OneNote? Um, I use it, make folders for prayer. I use the Echo app. You can find it uh, in the Play Store. I forget what's the name of the other, um, Google Play, whatever it is. I don't know what they're called, but the App Store and the Play Store, whatever they're called. Um, and I use Echo all the time. Um, it's a way that I, I log my prayers, and it's on all my devices. I stop If I do write down a prayer, um, I rarely do that. Um, I will... I may jot it down, then I'm going to transfer it to my app. So if I pull up my laptop or my phone or my iPad, I have it. Um, I have lists in there of the loss. Whenever I travel, and I travel often, uh, I have the names that go back years of Lyft drivers, Uber drivers. um, Because I'm in the car, they pick me up. And the first thing I... I'll generally ask, tell me about yourself. How long have you done this? And I'll ask this, so religion, what do you think about religion? And we begin to talk, and I share the gospel with them, and I say, would you read this for me? And I'll give them a track and drop them uh, off, and then I'll put their name in there under the loss if I've determined they don't know the Lord, at least from what I can determine. And I have names. I have Antonio that's in there. I have Lupe that's in there. I have Ahmad that's in there. And I have from LAX to, you know, in Orlando, um, at, you know, Heathrow. It's all in there. I have the, the, the flight attendants that's on that flight from LAX to Heathrow. And me going in the back, you know, talking with them and, and discussing things with them. And then I put their names down. So I've been praying for them for years when it comes around to the loss And I'm hoping that one day I will see all of them in heaven. Um, Yes, question. So 
Yeah, and you can set it up to say Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Generally, for those people, it's, it's every day. No, it's, that list just keeps getting built. Yeah. So it'll go back a while. And now the prayers are, I may say Antonio, Lupe, Ahmad, like at once and pray for them. Uh, there's one guy, I didn't catch his name, but he was uh, the bag attendant at Orlando when I was flying out of Orlando. And I chatted with him for a moment and on the go and gave him, a, but all I know, he's the bag attendant. But guess what? God knows. Amen. Well, I can't pray for him because I don't know of his full name. No, the Lord knows. He's that person. And I pray for that person is what I do. The sovereign God has known his name from eternity. Yeah, and I pray that he'll know his name in a different way. That he'll know his name is what I want to pray. So use that. It's practical. Use technology to your advantage. And down to the point where sometimes if it's a note um, or someone will give me a business card, if they have it, and I'll take a picture of it, then boom, I just I pull it into the app, and I have a picture of it. Because what happens so often, how many times does this happen? You say you're going to pray, oh, I'll pray for you. Hmm. Then what happens? Has anyone ever failed in that? Let's be honest, we're in church now. <laughs> you failed. And this is just another way to gird up this idea. You be practical with it. And that's what I do. Okay? That's just one way. Now let's get into this text a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, good time. I still have 33 minutes. This is good. But remember, questions. Any questions about what's already been stated? Okay, great. I love it. We'll start here. Okay, good practice. So she, right away, someone is, has offered a request. You make a promise. You walk away. Pray right now. Wouldn't it be wonderful on this campus if you meet someone, and here's a question for us as well. Let's be practical in this. Someone says to you, how are you doing today? What is our first response? What do we say? Fine. Is that always the case? No, it's not. And sometimes we have to catch ourselves, don't we? And there are times I've had to do it. It's just, that's the answer I give. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm just being dishonest. I was just, like recently, I was in the hospital. I got cellulitis. I was in the hospital for four days with an IV in my arm. And I came back, and I could barely, I was, couldn't even run or anything again. And how are you doing, Pastor? Okay. And I thought, hold on, I'm dishonest. I'm not doing that great right now. Pray for me. But we tend to do that. And wouldn't it be wonderful if on this campus or any campus, wherever you are, someone says, will you pray for me? This is happening for you. How about praying right now? Like if you saw people out here or in a room or in a fellowship group, that let me pray right now. And your heads are bowed and you don't have to bow your head to pray. That you pray for the person in that moment even. Now, the only person, the only sort of people that are going to have a problem with that are the religiously lost. And or those that, you know, may know the Lord, but they just have the spirit of the Pharisees in them. It's like, what are they doing? They're praying in church. Who's heard of such a thing? Huh. No, this is the place for it, is it not? Gentleman here, then in the back. Hold on. Yes. So 4C, um, 
is consecrated. Yeah, consecrated. That is, you make the commitment to it, um, and we stick to it. Consecrated. Yeah, it's a forcing. Excellent. Sign in the back. Question. Stand up, loud voice. <laughs> Amen. 75 and a half. We'll pray for you. Okay, we're a bit out of order, but that's all right. Um, fasting and prayer. Hmm. Okay, in a nutshell, we see throughout Scripture the idea of fasting. We see it for a number of reasons. Uh, we see it as a before a call to a battle. There's, they fasted and prayed as a sign of repentance. Uh, even pagan nations fasted. Uh, remember Nineveh? Um, Jonah proclaims in Nineveh, and what did the king of Nineveh say? Uh, even cattle need to be covered with sackcloth and ashes. So fasting and praying, we see it there. Um, we see Jesus Christ, do we not? Forty days and forty nights fasted and prayed. Uh, we see Moses fasting and prayer up on the mountain. Another forty um, is Elijah, and he went in the strength of that forty days. Now all of Three of those are miraculous. You can go 40 days without um, food, but you cannot go 40 days without water. So um, I believe in fasting and prayer. I think it's a lost discipline in the Christian life. It really is. Um, Some in Matthew, um, Matthew 5, we see an account of fasting and prayer with the Pharisees. Um, But Jesus indicts them because of this. He says that what they do is they go about in their gloomy faces, essentially so that they would be noticed by men. Jesus Christ said this. Notice what he says. When you fast. So let's say that again. When you fast. So obviously the implication is clear there, isn't it? That you will fast. And when you fast, do what? Wash your face. Don't make this pronouncement that you're fasting. Someone asked me years ago, because I would tell, uh, let me give you a backdrop. My former church, every spring, um, I would ask the church to fast and pray with me, and I would put together a schedule with scriptures for each day to meditate on, think about. I'd ask them to send me your prayer requests, and I'd pray for them. Um, and I've gone, and it would be a longer period of time. Um, so seven days, and the most I've ever done is 40 um, but that takes a lot of commitment to do 40 days because it's, you prepare your body for about 10 days, actually more, yeah, about 10 days, then 40 days, and you cannot, and this is in all seriousness, you cannot, after 40 days of fasting, uh, go and just have a regular meal. You can do damage to yourself. So it was about a 30 days of, after that was maybe some broth and then maybe some veggies and then, so it really was an 80-day commitment to do that. So it's been a part of my life for a long period of time. Um, the first time I ever did it was when I graduated from college, and the Lord had radically changed my life from the career and everything that was lined up for me that I thought was 
had been on since I was about 15. God took it away. Um, I was saved, and I thought, what is next? I need direction. And I, f- I said, well, the Bible talks about fasting and prayer, and I didn't know much, and that's what I did. And the Lord, I, um, I was given the answer, and I don't mean given. I didn't hear anything, but there was a sense in which through that communion, things made sense to me. And so I've never looked back. So I've read it, looked into it. Um, I think it's neglected in the Christian life, and in part neglected because the people that we hear talking about fasting and praying the most are those that have uh, unsound doctrine. But if you were to look at the lives of John Knox, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Wesley's, Lloyd-Jones, Spurgeon, throughout, the list goes on and on and on and on of people that believed in fasting and prayer. And so we have lost that to fat. When you fast, you're essentially saying, God, I give up this which sustains me naturally for something that I need spiritually. I am in earnest. In Isaiah 58, it tells us there in Isaiah 58, you have not fasted so that your voice can be heard on high. Now think about that. Now, he indicts Israel because they're fasting, but he's saying, your fasting is hypocrisy because you're also doing injustices in the middle of your fast. So it means nothing to me. And with the Pharisees, he's saying, you're fasting, but you're doing it so that everyone sees you. So he says, when you fast, clean up yourself. Someone asked me, wait a minute. Well, pastor, if you tell people you're fasting, isn't that violating what Jesus said? No, it's not. Because what Jesus is getting at is the heart. He says, don't show it to everyone. Because it says, well, go into your closet and pray and fast. Well, the question would be then, he also says that about giving. Don't let your right hand, let your left hand know what you're doing. So should we never let anyone know that we're giving to the Lord? No, it's not. It's a principle. They're saying, don't be like the religious leaders and give and let everyone know, look at what I'm giving. And don't be like the religious leaders who fast and want everyone to know that they're fasting. Uh, and my wife can tell you the years that I've done it. There were, sometimes I didn't even let them know that I was. But my kids got used to it because I'd be at the dinner table with them. And, and it asked, Joanna would ask, you want some? No, that's okay. And my kid, oh, dad, are you fasting again? And I said, yeah, I am. And what is it this time? And not in a sarcastic, and I'd tell them sometimes I would, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I'd say, I'm actually fasting and praying for you. <laughs> Why? I think you know. <laughs> and I did. There are times for my kids, for everyone in my family. There are moments where I says, Lord, please get a hold of her heart. And I cried out to the Lord. My youngest girl, even recently, and she knows this, uh, that I baptized her recently. She came to the Lord it's been maybe a year and a half ago, but she didn't know the Lord. And I was just struck with the reality as I was with her one time on the 14 driving. If we're in an accident and we die, my little girl is going to spend an eternity separated from the living God. And there's no affection I have for her. And there's no affection I have for anyone else that can change that. And so what can I do but take it before the throne of grace? And I fasted and prayed for her and labored for her. It was a painful thought to think about someone that you love spending an eternity separated from God. 
but I would have to say it. I would never stand up in a service, and I thought about this, and even John and I talked about it, because we were at services before where someone stood up, and we know that young person didn't know the Lord, and all of a sudden, they've made them a Christian. That was an opportunity for, and this is why Ecclesiastes says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of praise, because then you can learn some life lessons. It's better than to say, be right with the Lord. Be right with the Lord. No one at 15 or 17 or 18 or maybe even at 30 or 40 thinking ever thought this will be my last day. But you never know. I was reading a story recently, even talking to Tom Hatter about it when I got here, about Arvada, Colorado, um, a shooter, um, gets his gun out. He says he wants to kill as many police officers as possible. Um, He shows up. And I saw some of the video, horrible, calls out to the police officer, shoots him, shotgun, goes to get his, his rifle to kill other police officers. A good Samaritan rushes out. He um, accosts the, the bad guy, shoots him, kills him. But the police show up not knowing which is which. And it's still blurry why they would have done it this way. But they shoot him. Think about it. Did he ever think it was going to end that way? And he undoubtedly saved other lives, but he gave up his life. The question is, you can end your life being that good Samaritan, putting your life on the line, but then if you pass into eternity without Christ, this is why we need to pray. And at times, fast and pray. So it's a serious matter. God has called us to do this. So I would encourage you, I urge you, I exhort you by the living God that be consistent. Say, Lord, I have not prayed as I should. No, and tomorrow I will not be like a Martin Luther or like a Calvin. But here's, listen to this, maybe one day you will. Because we tend to do this, and this is unfortunate. We tend to think that no one can live the life of a Calvin or of of a Luther today. As if that era is over. No, you just have to make decisions, and decisions like they made. There, there must be people today, and there are. I can think about people that I know. You would never know. You don't know their name. No one's ever going to quote from them. But they were people of prayer. They were people of prayer. And surely they affected, not surely, absolutely they affected heaven. Because of their prayers. So God is saying to you, no one may ever quote from you. You may never make it onto anyone's PowerPoint slide. But you should still be people of prayer. Does that make sense? So that's fasting and prayer plus a little bit more, all right? The call to prayer. Okay, we must respond. We must strive. We must have the proper subject. So notice what it says praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the spirit. And to this end, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. As well on my behalf, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. Uh, Before we get into the text, there in the um, 
Hebrew language, there are some very interesting ways that prayer is communicated. And let me just go through them with you to give you a sense of the, the sort of the breath of prayer. First, we can find intense supplication. Exodus um, 9, Exodus 10, uh, Job 33, to be in earnest. We think about someone in earnest means there's an intensity to it. You know, I mean, one is preaching, you say, well, they're in earnest, they're intense, it is not flippant, this is serious, this is sober, and so our prayers are that. To intercede in the um, King James Version, intercede, uh, you would see the word entreat, 84 times in the Old Testament. To inquire, very interesting word, uh, mean, is usually is used only of Daniel, to seek from a king. The implication of that is serious, think with me for a moment. When we go to prayer, we are seeking from whom? The king of kings and lord of lords, are we not? Um, in Ezra um, 10, 6, I'm sorry, Ezra 6.10 and Daniel 6.10, um, to bend, to bow, to pray, to humbly submit. So we get this sense of prayer. It means that we're bending down, we're bowing. The implication is that I'm in need. I recognize my weakness. But it's also this, to describe deep and intense pondering. And this is the idea of meditation, that we meditate upon God and think about God. Here is something that's also missing in the Christian experience, to just pause and meditate on God. People often see, you, you, you take a lot of pictures and post them, because when I see those things, I think about God. It just, this is a wonder of his creation. This same God that created this in an effortless, effortless, says, why don't you speak with me? Um, And so let me move here. Number six, a specific request. And this is what we saw in Samuel from the beginning, requesting something of a person. And specific is important that we need to be particular with our God. And then here's the expression of a reverent heart that sees God in all of his awesomeness. Uh, We see that in Exodus 33, in Moses before the Lord. He wants to see the glory of God. Um, In Judges 13 and 8, um, the parents of uh, what would be Samson, they saw uh, the angel that has come and they have this sense of glory and awesomeness of God. Number eight, it means to employ mercy. Um, Exodus 33, the, the cry that God is going to be gracious. Uh, um, Job 19, to, to entreat. Psalm 51, remember that David, show me pity, show me mercy. God, Deuteronomy, to beseech the Lord. We, we go before him. And then it's this. It, it's close to entreat, but it means to come apart from human strength. Prayer is saying, God, I don't have the answers. It is pouring out one's heart before the Lord. Hannah is a great example of prayer. You remember? Who who remembers the story of Hannah? Um, And what happens with Hannah when she's praying? What happens? Okay, all right here, tell us. Our visitor is going to tell us. What? She thought she was drunk. Because she's babbling, right? And no, what did she say to him is so important. What was her response? She says, no, my Lord, I'm doing what? I am pouring out my heart before the Lord. Then now we have prayer to pour out one's heart before the Lord. Have you ever been in a conversation where something has been 
you know, pent up in you for a while and you start to talk and you can't stop because you pour out your heart. And this is what we do before the Lord. God, here it is. Um, and then the outpouring of worshipful, worshipful praise and communion, which we see in the Psalms so often. What's the application? And I think we say that it's this. Prayer must be approached humbly and always to express, and it allows us to express it is a host of concerns and emotions. So we can go from praying for someone's soul to praying for God, help me to grow in patience. God, give wisdom to our elders. God, protect them from the enemy. I would ask, I want people all the time to pray for me. Absolutely. Pray that I would not stumble and fall. Absolutely. I've often talked to students at the seminary, and we've talked about temptation. I said one way that you can remain qualified in ministry is to realize that you can be disqualified from ministry. Men who are at the point where they think they are not susceptible to something are men that are on a dangerous path. Look at the text. We must respond to the call to prayer. Notice it says, with all prayer and petition, pray, praying, petition, our perseverance and petition. And we see Paul expressing this in Ephesians 1, 15 to and following. We see it in Ephesians 6. So he's praying that the eyes of their heart will be open. Then he prays in Ephesians 3 that um, they would understand the love of Christ. Let me show you something. One important thing that you can do if you want to pray more is use scripture. Let's all turn to Ephesians 3. You need to learn to use scripture to guide your prayer life. Yes, lists are good. We, we keep lists. We go through the lists. But prayer should also be spontaneous as well in the moment. And prayer, I believe, should be guided by scripture as well. Use prayer I'm sorry, use scripture to help your prayer life. Um, let's, let's pause here. Okay, let's look at verse 16, chapter 3. That, Paul is praying, that he would give you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now, if we're praying that for ourselves and for others, how might you pray? How might you pray that? Uh, you might say something like, Lord, you are the God that has all riches. Everything that is in this universe is yours. And you have absolute spiritual riches, which you've told us in Ephesians chapter 1. And they're in heavenly places. Give me strength today. It is by your power. This spirit that resides in me, that you would give me grace to live out the Christian life before this world. Lord, I pray for those that know you. If we look at verse 17, help them to be rooted and grounded in your love, that they would understand it and grasp it and appreciate it. Help them to understand how vast your love is according to verse 18. Sometimes, Lord, we surely don't understand it and we don't appreciate it. And we can use the scripture to help us in our prayer life. Absolutely we can. Say, for instance, look at um, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the manner 
of the calling in which you have been called. And then he says, how humility, gentleness, patience. Lord, give me patience. Surely I need it. Help me to grow in humility. Help me to bear with others when I've been offended and hurt. Use scripture to help guide our prayer life. And so, secondly, we must strive to persevere in prayer. And we would say one of the greatest disciplines in the Christian life is perseverance, is it not? And that it is sustaining an effort. When there's something that's going to challenge us, and prayer requires perseverance, that's why at times when we have good intentions and we begin to pray, we must persevere. Um, we'll come to it in a minute. Perseverance in prayer. This idea to continue to do something with intense effort, uh, with the possible implication of despite difficulties. Think with me for a moment. Someone, give me an example of anything you can think of in your own life or in history where someone persevered despite difficulty. Can you think of anything? What's that? David and, well, many examples, right? Which one? David and Absalom persevered. David and the Philistines persevered. Absolutely. Can you think of another example of just perseverance in the midst of difficulty? Even so, I love, and I, when I taught on prayer, um, even this is, I don't know, a couple years ago in the evening service, I focused on um, Colossians 4 because it says being devoted to prayer. And it's a word that is very intense word. And I love the example of the Marines on Iwo Jima. That's perseverance. And actually one quote um, where one company, E-Company, had to be E-Company, as they land on Iwo Jima, and they would just call it Iwo, um, that one captain came off and he said that actually we suffered 75% losses in our company. And he said, I'm the only officer that's returning. 75% losses. But they persevered. That's why today sort of the iconic symbol for the Marines is the raising of the flag on Iwo. But what you don't realize behind the raising of that flag, many lives were lost. But did they give up? No. Prayer is a spiritual battle. Your flesh wants you to give up. The enemy wants you to give up. But you must persevere. Um, Someone do this for me. Can I get two readers Romans 12, 12, and then we will look at Colossians 4, 2. Romans 12, 12, Colossians 4, 2. Who can um, read Romans 12, 12 for us? Good reading voice. There you go. I know he has one. I've heard it before. Come on, stand up. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Yeah. Listen, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Colossians 4.2. Who has that for us? Colossians 4.2. Yes, go ahead, young man. Um, devoted to prayer, committed to uh, the word, can carry the idea uh, to not be distracted. Um, but actually, one way, one possible translation of it. Um, it means to be obstinately persistent. That's it. Obstinately persistent. 
Now, we just think about the word obstinate. What comes to mind? What? Hard-headed. You're an obstinate person, right? Persistent is obvious, but I love it. Obstinately persistent. We are unbending, and so we must be that way in prayer. Um, And he says, in the spirit. And what does this mean? Just quickly, in the spirit in context means that now we're controlled by the spirit. Because chapter 5, what? Be filled with the spirit. How do we live the spirit-filled life? How do we know we're living it? By all the things that Paul is telling them to do in chapters 5 and 6. Don't exasperate your kids. Love your wife. Submit to your husbands. Be a good worker. Be a good employer. Then you know you're walking in the spirit. The battle illustrated from the screw tape letters. Who's read the screw tape letters? And many, many moons ago, screw tape letters. And it's this, this sense in which it's talking about spiritual warfare. And as C.S. Lewis wrote it, he said he had to sort of think like the devil. How does he try to distract us? And how do those who are the enemies of our soul distract us in our Christian life? We are in the midst of battle. What is so true when it comes to warfare? What's one thing that is absolutely necessary is communication. As a matter of fact, you would say, um, in any relationship, what is, what is critical to the relationship? What would you say? Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. But to make it a good relationship, there must be what? Communication. Definitely trust. Communication. If you don't communicate... Imagine that in warfare. Communication is necessary. That's why in warfare, one of the first things that will always happen is to take out communication. If you go back to the Gulf War, um, those first missions that were coming off those aircraft carriers and from um, bases elsewhere, bridges, what else we're going to Roads, cell towers, power plants. Communication. We're in a battle. Communicate with your commander-in-chief. Last thing. We must have the proper purpose in prayer. The proper purpose. Notice what he says. All the saints, notice what he says. On my behalf, I want you to pray for what? Bold utterance. Think about it. Paul is saying, this great man of the faith, I want boldness when it comes to me fulfilling my duty, will you pray for me? So important. He wanted there to be bonus because he wants to speak this utterance that's needed, the message that he preached. And notice the irony of his, of his condition. What do I mean by that? When Paul writes this letter, where is Paul? He's in prison. But yet the word of God is what? Not in prison. The boldness he desires. And we think about it. Do we not need boldness in today's climate? Should you be praying for your elders and your leaders? Should you pray for your own soul that God will give you boldness so you can speak forth truth? Just briefly, boldness is bound to faith. Boldness should never be confused with harshness. Some people think, well, they're bold, but they're just harsh people. There's a difference between being bold and being harsh. And boldness is really a a testimony of our sincerity to speak for Christ. Boldness is not intimidated. 
Boldness is found in God's grace. It's a reliance upon the Lord. And if we're going to rely, it means that we have to pray. Let me do some, um, let me, I'm going to skip ahead. 11 ways you can develop in prayer. We'll close here, okay? Here we go. Number one, spend time meditating on the greatness of God. You meditate on God's greatness and you realize, what a wonderful God, I want to spend time with him. Number two, increase your knowledge of prayer by reading and listening. Read good books on prayer. Listen to good sermons on prayer. Number three, follow the Daniel principle. Um, What do I mean by that? Daniel prayed three times a day. You may say, well, I don't have that much time in the morning or that part of the day seems to be a bit busier. Divide your prayer up throughout the day then. Be practical in it. Develop a tender heart by praying through tragic news. One thing that we learned as a family, my kids, remember we would maybe be on the 4 or 5 or the 110 or wherever it was or the 91. And if we saw an accident, it was always a time to pray. At times, think about the, the world you see around you and to pray, develop a tender heart as God has one. And I would say this, avoid the frustration principle. This is what I mean by this. Um, you see here, pray or be silent. Let me give you an example. When Barack Obama was president, um, uh, obviously areas that most definitely disagree with him on a, a whole list of things, uh, but Barack Obama needs Christ, does he not? Okay. And I would hear people, and um, this would often silence a room or a conversation, Oh, I can't believe Barack Obama. He stands for this and he stands for this. He's done this. He's taken our country downhill. America's going to become a communist pinko. You know, it was just all this sort of stuff. Um, then I would say to people, when was the last time you prayed for him? Oh, silent. Like crickets are going off now. Then you, in all of your belief and your biblical convictions, you've forgotten First Timothy chapter 2. Where Paul says there, I entreat you that what? Prayers and petitions should be made for what? All rulers and all the kings and all who are in authority. That they would leave this, lead a tranquil life. That they would live in the fear of God. Pray for the man's soul. And right now, Joe Biden. Pray for his soul. And sometimes I believe the Christians spent less time um, blogging and criticizing and castigating their leaders and a little bit more time praying for them, the world might truly be a better place. Um, do this. Find a place of solace. Jesus would often go away in the desert, on the mountains, to a quiet place. Find that place, wherever it may be. Um, but learn how to pray in every I prayed, I prayed at 37,000 feet on an airplane while driving, walking, running. Pray. Number six, fight the wandering mind with lists, pictures, and notes. Go through that list of people, pictures of people. When you see someone's face, then the sense in which you're connected to them, maybe a little bit more, and pray for that person. That's a way to develop in prayer. And we talked about that prayer zone. Gain a prayer partner, accountability that you can have. Let's pray for this together. Uh, We have a wonderful time at Anchored Prayer Time every Tuesday night. 
we pray, and if you don't have to be an anchor, if you want to join us every Tuesday at 7 o'clock, we pray, we do it through Zoom, a wonderful time that we spend with one another. Number eight, develop the habit of praying scripture, as we talked about. Look through the Psalms, look through the epistles, even the narratives. God, what is the lesson to be learned here? Help me to avoid this. Help me to emulate this. Help this to be true in my life. Use technology to log your request. We talked about this already. Use technology for practical purposes. Number 10, start with a very reasonable amount of time and allow your experience in the spirit to move you upon your conscience. Avoid the, the reactionary, I will be the next Martin Luther. Like I said, one day we may know you as that. And even if we don't know you as that, the Lord will know you as that, which is the most important anyway. So go about it that way. Um, consistency better than commitment that wanes. Number 11, look to the example and challenge of our precious Lord and Savior. Consider his actions in view of his suffering. And what were they? So we look to Christ. He is our supreme example, is he not? What is Christ doing for us right now? What is he doing for us? Interceding for us. He set the example. The scripture tells us, be on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day is coming. Be on the alert. Savage wolves are coming. Devote yourself to prayer. This is alertness. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16. Then, be on the alert. The devil, he is going about like a lion seeking to devour. Be on the alert. And then Matthew 26, Jesus in his penetrating words, what is happening there? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is facing the reality that he is going to take upon the sin of all his elect throughout time. All of your sin. For those of you that know Christ, he is going to take it upon himself. He realizes that he isn't. In moments ahead, he is going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what is he doing? He's doing what? Someone tell us he is praying. You remember, he went three times. And what did he say each time? Could, then he says at the end, could you not watch with me for one hour? We're all watchmen. You need to watch with the Lord. You're all priests. You need to be a good priest. You're all in one sense prophets. You need to be a good prophet. And watch with the Lord. Pray for souls. Pray for your own soul. Pray for your leaders. Pray for this mad world around us. And watch with the Lord Jesus Christ. And follow his example. Amen? Amen. If you have some questions, I'll stay here for a bit. You can ask me. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness, grace, and mercy you show us. We thank you. And um, we rest in you. I pray for everyone here that has come here to learn more about this important aspect of our Christian life, that you would give them grace to increase their prayer life. Give them grace to start their prayer life. Give them grace to be consistent in their prayer life. In Christ's name, amen.